Hi everyone, this is Lauren Knudsen. I'm Senior Vice President here at J Public Relations and welcome back to Priority Status, Travel Elevated. I'm here today with Stacey Round, the Editor-in-Chief and Vice President of Hospitality Design Group. Hi Stace. Hi Laura, how are you? Good, I'm happy to have you here. So Stacey and I first met when I joined JPR over 11 years ago in San Diego and she was living there at the time Um, and we met when we were, JPR was launching the world's first Pininfarina Design Hotel, which is the Keating. It's still there in San Diego's Gaslamp Quarter. And um, Stacey was one of the only national editors based in San Diego. And so, of course, this hotel is very design focused, but also we realized we had a national editor in our back pocket because she was again, the only one there. <laughs> you were so gracious about supporting us with that. And then even, you know, for places that don't even exist anymore, that, yep. that were really big deal in the design community at the time. No, I loved it. And I loved being in San Diego and the owner of the Keating became a dear friend, Edward Kane. So it's, uh, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. So then I moved to New York. I, you had beat me here by a good amount of time. I've been here eight years, and I forget when you moved back here. I moved here back to New York in January of 2010. So oh, yeah. So I, was, I was six months behind you then, eight, year, eight months behind you. So yeah, eight years back. And then, so I guess we've had a lot of milestones together. So we moved to New York the same year, and then we became moms for the first time within a couple of months of each other as well. Yeah. And now we're both moms of boys, and so we have a lot to talk about on that front as well. Dinosaurs, <laughs> race cars, that sort of thing. All things boys. Yeah, all things boys. Um, but then we've continued to work together where our GPR clients have, that are really design-focused have been... Um, We've had the pleasure to have them in your publication, working with your team and your editors, and then we were able to just do a project with you and your team on your Instagram account, really elevating that to the next level. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's doing great. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, so I would love to talk with you a little bit about what HD is, because you know, when I first met you, it was really, I knew it only as a magazine and even just your title, you're the editor-in-chief of the magazine, but then you have this VP title. So tell us a little bit about what the magazine is today and then what you are and how you're leading the design community separate from that. Sure. So Hospitality Design Magazine has been around for more than 30 years, probably 35 years now. Um, we started in the late 70s as another magazine uh, that focused on food and restaurants and morphed into hotels and restaurants and then finally became hospitality design in um, probably the late 80s or so. But um, we now are, you know, besides our 60,000 reach of the industry, we also host 16 events as well as um, one of the largest trade shows or probably the largest trade show for the hospitality design industry, which is HD Expo, which is in Las Vegas every May. Um, And so when I started out, I've been with the magazine since 2000. Two, so 16 years. I started when I was 12, so you you can do the math. Um, But yeah, when I started out, we were really just a magazine with a couple events, including, you know, HD Expo, which is our signature event. And throughout the years, we've really tried to be the ultimate connector to the hospitality industry. It's kind of our little tagline that we use. Um, But it's really near and dear to our hearts and it's what we get up every morning and try to do. How can we not only showcase the best new projects and talk about the trends and, you know, areas of development in the magazine, but how can we bring these amazing people behind these projects together in different venues and settings? And so we started a couple different events, um, probably, you know, 
one of my babies was City Scene, which was more than 10 years ago, probably 12 years ago. And the idea was one of the designers came to me, you know, a couple of designers actually came to me and said, I don't always get to go to HD Expo because not everyone can go, you know, to a three-day trade show in Las Vegas. Um, and we had another event uh, called HD Summit, which was our, which is our um, think tank of sorts for the high-level executives in the industry where we bring speakers from outside the industry to think, to help them think differently about design and business. Um, but we didn't really have anything, you know, and then we had our Lifetime Achievement Awards and our regular, you know, project awards, but we didn't have anything in between. And so we launched City Scene events in, um, it, we launched our first one in New York and we invited 75 people to come and 75 people showed up. And the idea was regional networking and to bring the people together. And for lack of a better word, a lot of people that work in the hospitality design industry um, are friends. It's very incestuous for lack of a better word. It's, you know, it's, Everyone knows everyone has worked together, you know, have been um, deep in trenches and projects, you know, and so come out as friends on the other side. Um, so we realized we we're onto something. So long story short, we've gone from one city scene event to nine. So we go to nine different cities every year. We have Toronto this week. We have uh, New York in October. So they're great events. They bring together out the local community, and you know, we have amazing sponsors who support those. And then from there, um, as I mentioned, we had our HD summit model, um, which was for, you know, the senior level executives of these big firms, the founders, you know, the principals, the, the studio leaders. Um, but we didn't have anything for kind of that next generation. Um, and so we launched Next Gen Forum uh, almost six years ago. Um, and it's kind of a hybrid of this high level thinking, um, TED-like speakers and some more quote unquote regular conference programming. Um, and so that stage is every June. So we've just been, you know, and then we also were launching our, I'm really excited about our event October 11th um, in New York called Elevate. Um, it's, it's always nerve wracking to do initial launch, but again, we've had some amazing sponsors, you know, support us and what we do. And we're bringing together, you know, and this is something we can talk about in terms of trends later, but in how the lines are blurring across all design disciplines. So Hotels have co-working spaces. Co-working spaces look like hotel lobbies. Retail now has um, restaurants in it to bring people in. And, you know, office spaces have amazing um, restaurants. I mean, if you look at, like, the Facebook campus and, you know, Google and whatnot. So we decided to create a one-day event where we brought the best of the best across all different design disciplines to talk about where we are today and where we're going in the future. So we have David Rockwell kicking it off, talking about, um, you know, the where hospitality and theater meet. We have uh, Snarkitecture um, talking about the what's happening next in retail and how to create a cult-like following. We have Snow Hedda, who I'm really excited about, coming to talk about sustainability and you know how they're pushing the envelope on almost everything they do. And we even have one of the lead designers at Google talking about where VR and AR is going. So it's just going to be an amazing day, a very inspiring day, quick you know, 20, 30-minute um, conversations. Um, and so, you know, long story short of all of this is that, you know, we just try to really inspire and educate and bring people together um, across very different disciplines. So not only do we have this wonderful magazine that comes out 11 times a year, um, but we also have all these different events. And so my job is not only to manage the magazine and the day-to-day -day and the overall content, and I have this amazing team um, behind me that you know, really gets it out the door. Um, but also now I'm overseeing all these events. Um, and so we can have brand consistency across them all and, you know, really kind of figure out how we can take what we do well and make it better um, and find new avenues to really 
create um, a home and promote uh, the hospitality industry. What I like about what you said, besides the amazing energy you obviously bring to your work, <laughs> and I don't know how you do all of that and um, have a family. It's really extraordinary. Um, but it is, it's one of the coolest parts about, you know, our jobs is working in the hospitality spaces, whatever, however we come at it, it's applicable to basically everyone. People stay in hotels, people eat in restaurants, no matter what they do, if they're in finance or if they're in tech. Um, and it becomes really fun because our job is to bring those sort of nuances of the hospitality industry to the average person who isn't working in it day to day. And that's what these events are that you're doing. It's really talking about how you get it, you know, these blurred lines, how it comes together and where it's going. And that's what we're here to talk about today is really where the future of um, hotels are going specifically. So, you know, a few years ago, you were speaking on the Boutique and Lifestyle Lodging Association panel, and you said something that really resonated with me, and I quote you all the time. I give you full credit for it, though. Um, <laughs> and you talked about how millennial is a mindset, not just an age demographic. And I thought that was so very powerful, because I think, you know, we joke about the hospitality industry, or specifically the hotel space, that there's a lot of, you know, panic, panic, panic create a solution maybe, and then do some more panicking. And I think what that one statement did was say, it's not about panicking, about you know throwing money all in this direction or completely upending everything, but really understanding what is mo- the motivating factor behind this future generation that's up and coming and has growing buying power. What I would love to hear from you is a little bit more about you know what you what that statement meant and, you know, sort of what that means in this moment in the hotel space. Sure. And, um, you know, it's been interesting. So I've been at my job for 16 years and I, I probably can say without fault that this is the most probably exciting time that, um, that there ever has been for, I think, design and especially hospitality design. I think it's a, you know, you, you see brands rethinking what they've always done. You've seen amazing independent hotels come out. You've seen these awesome little restaurants pop up and design is really trickling everywhere, which makes my job really exciting. Um, A couple years ago, everyone started looking at this other generation, the millennials. And to be honest, I actually charged my team with trying not to write that word. We call it the M word in the magazine because of just that. Um, Everyone, I think, was like, oh, my God, there's this new breed coming up. And, you know, what they need stuff, you know, they need a hotel for them. You know, they don't want to go to, you know, the four seasons of their father or the, you know, the you know, you name it, any high-end luxury hotel of their father. They want something just for them. Um, Nothing against Four Seasons. Love the brand. But um, you know what I mean. So, you know, you see, you saw a bunch of hotels that were specifically made for millennials. And I think what that meant was that people wanted something more than the cookie-cutter box. And I think that was starting to happen and then this new generation was coming up and they were pushing people to even think further about that. What did that mean? And that meant active lobbies where F&B and the lobby space came together. It meant um, you know, being one with the locale of where they were, being that in the design or the programming. And that meant just rethinking the norm. 
And, but that's not, it doesn't have to be a 20 something year old. It can also be a 50 something year old because in the end, what I think what everyone wants is just that amazing experience that brings you back to that hotel, that restaurant, that space, something memorable. And that could be and the hard thing. I think for hoteliers or investors or whoever out there is that it's a lot easier said than done, right? Because you are speaking to someone who's 22 or somebody who's 55 and, they might have the same wants, but they need it in a different way. Um, and so, you know, you can't be something for everyone, um, but you can be something for a lot of people. And so I think figuring out what that meant um, has been what's been happening in the last, you know, call it five years in the hospitality industry. You know, we've seen more brands than ever come out of, um, out of this phenomenon um, from soft brands, from the big guys to, you know, independent quote unquote collections or brands um, that have all been after, you know, this millennial. And but it's interesting, you know, I was sat on a panel with a former Starwood now Marriott um, executive and they were saying that for St. Regis, a large part of their um, customer base is now under the age of 30. It's funny though, talking about millennials as the M word and this thing. Um, I know neither of us are millennials. I um, and so it's interesting for us speaking as you know the generation that's between both the boomers and the millennials. I like to tell people I'm a fringy millennial because technically I'm right on the cusp there. I've got the best of both worlds. Um, but you know when you're looking at, I look at what I travel and sort of I think our generation exemplifies that transition and what what exactly you're saying, where I really value luxury. I, I like a good turn down service. I like, you know, the really high thread count sheets, but I also am really into feeling, having things feel authentic and local. And there are times when I travel for work, there are times when I travel for personal with my kids, times when I travel you know, multi-gen or just with my husband or with my girlfriends, I want different things at different times. So there is something really great about this moment where you can feel fulfilled in your travel expectations no matter what you're doing. You don't always just have to go to sort of this, this box. But you can also, with these a lot of these soft brands you're talking about, have the standards you expect. Um, but there are these interesting emerging brands and these experiences and these hybrids that, that lend themselves well to those moments. Um, you know, you talked about hotel lobbies and the idea of the, the co-working space or really the co you know, at mingling space, which sounds very like Bumble, but that's not what I mean. It as um, you look at a hotel RL, for example, and where you have you know Red Lion Hotel Corporation launching a, a brand that has is specifically designed. They go after the pro mad, so the professional nomad, um, so that they have almost like a WeWork esque experience in their lobby where they can mingle. But then you also you have a lot of that in these other amazing brands. You look at um, Provenance Hotels, they're launching the Revolution in Boston. Their lobby space is going to be very much this experience where you can come and hang out and have different experiences at different times of the day on different days of the week. And so you have your whole really interesting experience going on. When you look at that from um, from the, the future of... Um, capturing, um, you know, it's, it's a business at the end of the day, right? And the boutique space has always struggled with getting the finance and not always. And originally when it first launched, there was a struggle of like, well, we've always given our money these banks have always given their money to this type of model. How does the boutique space fit into that? But now this sort of co-working space creates this added revenue source. I'd be interested to know, like from a design standpoint, which is, you know, where you're approaching it from versus, you know, 
if you were Wells Fargo trying to decide if you're going to finance it, how do you see this sort of evolution be really have some great monetary value? Yeah, I mean, I think what um, WeWork has done is opened up ideas and, you know, really showed people that you don't have to work in a traditional office with, you know, the traditional you know, the traditional things that usually come with that. Um, and so I think not only has that changed regular office, you know, spaces, which is really interesting to watch too, um, from our point of view, but it's also shown hotels that they can be something during the day. Um, cause not everyone's an ACE hotel, you know, that can have packed lobbies, um, in New York. Um, and maybe that even started with the ACE where people just went there to hang out and showed that like, you can be there all day, you know, and drink coffee and then have lunch and then have a drink and get your work done and be surrounded by like-minded people um, and other creatives or, you know, interesting folks. So I think what it's done, and I'm really excited too, because Devin, the creative director of uh, WeWork is speaking at Elevate. And I think what they have done is just shown that there's more opportunity than just to be a pass-through space, right, for hotels. And, you know, it was it was already happening. Um, you the know, W years ago yeah, with exactly. their living room sort of at the forefront of that, right? Right, exactly. But I think, you know, now it's become more of a norm, right? So, you know, went from W to ACE to, you know, now even Ian Traeger's public um, on the Lower East Side has, you know, you can co-work there all day if you want and it's set up that way and it's, and I've sat there at two in the morning having drinks too. Yeah, exactly. So and it transforms. And I think that's the interesting thing from the design point of view is how do you how do you transform how do you use design to be able to transform it from a day to an evening that allows the owner or the brand to generate the revenue and let it flow, you know, and let it work because that's one of the hardest things about design, right? It can look pretty, but if it doesn't work, it's going to fail. And so where do you marry the form and the function? Um, and so I think that's the biggest challenge with designers. And that doesn't only me- always mean like a huge fluffy couch, you know, like it means various seating areas and l- watching people use a space. Um, you know, I love, um, one time I went to um, Tao, Tao downtown and I, you know, I was going to my table and I look over to my right and, you know, David Rockwell is there um, and he's just watching, just watching how people use the space and just seeing if what he did, you know, worked. And it was really amazing to sit there and talk to him and see how he, you know, he's like, what can I learn? And, you know, what, what else can I do? And did I do this correctly? And I know many owners, you know, um, that do the same thing and, you know, tweak the lighting and watch. And, you know, Brad Wilson from ACE one day said, you know, um, when I interviewed him, it's like when it opens, you know, it's not over. It's just beginning, right? Because you can think you did everything right, um, but then you probably did something that you need to tweak. So I think that's been, you know, it's it's now a challenge, right? And what does that mean in Cincinnati, Ohio versus New York? And what does that mean in Chicago versus San Francisco? And how do people use the different spaces, you know, in the different cities that they're in? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. Um, and so you see some really interesting new furniture come out of it and, um, you know, where plugs are integrated and, you know, it's, it's the simple things, right? Like keep it simple, stupid kiss has always been my model, but like, you know, like where can they plug in and how can they eat and how can they work and how can they have coffee and does the table raise or, you know, can they have some privacy for phone calls? And, you know, so it's a lot of things to think about. And then how does that very bright 
or not very bright, but like brighter space for the day transform into this moody place that people want to also come into at night. And so I think that's the biggest challenge these days is that many more spaces than ever in hospitality have to be flexible, right? They have to be able to be, even the meeting rooms have changed, um, which from somebody who throws 16 events a year, <laughs> I still would love to find the perfect, you know, <laughs> meeting spaces in hotels. But, you know, some have great little small ones, some have massive ones. And, you know, so it's, you know, trying to figure out how people can, how people use spaces today um, and how an empty ballroom can become something, you know, um, during the day, perhaps that it wasn't, you know, 10 years ago. What are some of the things when you're traveling, when you walk into a room to check after you've checked in, where you just are like, ah, oh, thank goodness they have this? Like, are there like certain things that are really your personal happens? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also what you said before. Am I traveling for work? Am I traveling for pleasure? Am I traveling with my three children? And, you know. Which is a whole third category. Which is, yeah, travel, the whole yeah. third category. <laughs> uh, again, which is why I think it's hard because, you know, which is why I'm excited that there's so many different uh, um, uh, hotels out there these days that, you know, it can kind of be something for when you want it and when you need it. Like sometimes I do want luxury and sometimes I, I don't care. You know, I just want a nice room and, you know, a great restaurant downstairs. So, but when I get into a hotel, I mean, first of all, the first thing is check-in. Like if there's a line, if it's a process, if it's anything, you know, like there are so many things from getting from point A to B, the last thing in the world um, that I want to deal with is, you know, a problematic check-in, be it, you know, they don't have my reservation or they can't, you know, they can't seem to get things quick enough or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, it's one of my um, biggest pet peeves is hotel check-in. And so um, I do sometimes like the kiosk and sometimes I do want to talk to someone, but, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to just have it seamless no matter which way it is. And then in a hotel room, um, lighting is my biggest thing is if it's too dark, especially in hallways, you know, I, I'm a very confident traveler and, you know, I'm a, (laughs) I like to think of myself as, you know, um, a pretty tough cookie, but like really dark hallways by, for a single traveler, you know, as a woman or, you know, little things like that, that you go into a room and you can't find the light switch and you can't, you know, just things at 12 o'clock in the morning when you're getting in late is just not, you know, not my cup of tea, but also just, you know, having really great lighting in a room. Um, so you can, work if you need to, sleep well if you want to, and, you know, in the bathroom, not look crazy town when you come downstairs because (laughs) (laughs) you've had five minutes to put on makeup and what the lighting was in that bathroom versus reality is night and day. So um, I think... The bathroom is one of those very highly undervalued or under-considered rooms. Like, people spend a lot of money on, like, marble or things like that, but no, I, I feel like... Very few bath hotel bathrooms that I've been in actually nail the entire experience. Yeah. And I think too, it's you know, it's one of the most expensive areas, and um, you know, especially in renovations, it's sometimes the one place that's not touched or just slightly upgraded. And so, you know, um, I think that can be definitely problematic. I think you know, even I might get crucified for saying this, but I, I would like people to spend more money in the bedrooms. I feel like because of there's been so much attention on the public spaces that you're so wowed downstairs and then you go upstairs and you're kind of like, oh, well, it's fine. You know, and so I think that's been, 
you know, I'm waiting for that person to completely, you know, revolutionize the guest room and do something really, you know, I know you need a bed and I know you need, you know, like there's certain things you need, but, you know, to really kind of think differently in the guest room. And I mean, yes, there are brands out there that are doing different things, you know, Virgin with its cool extra seat on its bed and, um, you know, there's others out there, but I just, you know, overall, that would be my biggest pet peeve. I know you couldn't possibly choose a single one that would be your favorite, but then you travel all the time. But is there somewhere that you were recently where you walked into the room and you were like, ah, that was a really smart decision? <laughs> no. uh, you think on that one. I'm going to throw another one your way. So, um, you know, we talk about wellness and how wellness is here to stay. And, and I think for a long time, wellness just meant like they serve juice or they have salads and actual like vegetarian options at their you know restaurant um, menu. But really, I feel like wellness is not only here to stay, it, it has become an expectation, not really an amenity. And um, I'd love to know a little bit from you what you're seeing for hotels and individual and brands and just even in the hospitality space and how people are answering that that current need and expectation for wellness while people travel. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a it's something we've been paying attention to a lot more. Um, I mean, the Global Wellness Institute released a study Recently that said, you know, and by 2020, wellness tra- tourism industry will be well over $800 billion. I mean, that's a big number. Um, and I think it's exactly what you said. Like, yes, you can have a gym. You can have, you know, juice in the room. You, can, you know, there's little things you can do. But I think what people are looking for is something more than that, right? They're looking for a transformative experience, um, something that... Um, can help them, you know, throughout their stay. There's so many um, studies that say, like, how travel is so (laughs) terrible for your health if you don't take care of yourself while you're traveling, right? Like, if you don't do it correctly, especially road warriors and people that are, you know, like, you don't sleep as well, you you know, you don't, you know, get enough light, all these different things. And so um, I think there's a couple brands that are really trying to rethink that. Um, There's... Delos that doesn't have their own hotels per se, but they're going, they're creating these um, wellness rooms. Um, MGM has a bunch of their rooms and, you know, it's vitamin C infused showers and, you know, it's looking at the lighting levels and, you know, everything about what's happening in that room in terms of the, um, the air quality, et cetera. Um, and MGM pays, you know, gets a premium for those rooms and they started off with one number and now they're adding more because they really want, you know, like there's a demand for them. I look at Six Senses and Neil Jacobs, who is the CEO of Six Senses, um, was our guest editor, uh, last year. And he, it was a really amazing journey to go on with him. Um, every year in November, we turn over the reins of the magazine to, um, an industry veteran or icon and Neil took over the reins last year and we really looked at wellness and, you know, people that are doing wellness, um, differently, um, not just him, but you know, others. And, uh, but what I did learn was a lot about six senses and what is really amazing about them is that they have places where when you check in, you meet with a doctor or you meet with, you know, if you're, uh, depending if it's an Eastern or Western medicine, um, and then throughout your entire stay, they, um, they, they help you, they evaluate you and then, 
your stay is based on that evaluation and what you need and what you're missing, how you should eat, what you should be drinking, you know, like, and then it's more than just a spa, but it's a total experience. And they're looking at how sleep affects, you know, how they can better, better help people get better rest in the room and from the bed to the lighting to everything in between. Um, and they're opening, you know, the six senses opening up here in New York, it's going to be their, um, you know, flagship for the States and, it's going to have this amazing, and I can't even speak, you know, correctly about all the things that they're going to have, but um, they're going to have a wellness club, basically, you know, so house, but wellness um, at the base of it. And, you know, you can, you can get cocktails, but you can also get your blood checked and you can, you know, have your feet grounded and, you know, you can do these VR experiences where you meditate for 20 minutes and, you know, just like (laughs) these amazing things. And I, you know, like, so I think they might, you know the extreme which is amazing um but you know I think people are looking for that in some of their travel and then I think there are people that you know have the business travelers that are doing the simple things that are you know probably more subtle um but are you know are thinking about how they can you know give people a better travel experience from a wellness point of view and I think you know I think it, it makes sense, right? <laughs> like it should have been happening for a very long time. And um, it's interesting too, because we've uh, featured a couple um, hospitals and, uh, you know, cancer centers that have enlisted hospitality designers to design them because they want them to be more hospitable, which, um, you know, is another oxymoron. But I think what people are realizing is that, you know, people are health conscious they don't want to sacrifice their well-being when they travel. And so how can you make that happen? Either small ways, but even if they're small ways, they need to be completely integrated throughout. I think just throwing a gym is nice, but it's now a you know, prerequisite. Like if you don't, you know, so especially if you want the business traveler. So I think it's, in, it, it, you know, an Equinox Hotels is coming next year to Hudson Yards, um, which, you know, everyone is waiting with the, uh, great anticipation to see what they do. You know, Equinox is an amazing fitness brand and, you know, they have an uh, amazing team behind it that are, you know, really rethinking, you know, thinking what does that mean when you create, turn a fitness brand into a hotel brand. Um, and then you have, you know, IHG with their even hotels, um, you know, which is all about sustainability and wellness from the moment you check in. So, I think it's an exciting space. Um, I think we're just at the tip of it. Um, you know, there should be, you know, more entrance and more thoughtfulness um, happening. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. You mentioned VR twice now in the last thirty minutes, and it's so. I want to talk more about that because you don't think the first thing you think about when you think of VR is certainly not hotels. So tell me more about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, it's just, people are just starting to figure out what VR can mean. Um, so right now I think a lot of it is being used, um, for sales experiences for hotels. Um, so people can see a real walkthrough of the space. Um, and I think some more designers are starting to use it for their presentations. Um, I went and, uh, met with iCrave, which is a great experiential design firm here in New York. And they showed me all that they're doing. Um, but they are, 
how they described it is you get to see spaces that you didn't always see in a rendering, right? Like you might miss that back left corner or, you know, that top of the ceiling or, you know, that curve of the wall. But in VR, you can really see it. And it's an easier way to show clients what they're thinking um, because you're actually living in it. Um, So, and again, in AR, how can you use that? You know, um, as people are waiting in lines and like amusement parks and, you know, how can you entertain people within your own spaces using VR and AR? So, again, I think it's people are just starting to figure it out, um, either as a tool for selling, especially residential buildings, you know, because people can step into their own space and see it firsthand, um, you know, to selling it to hotels, to using it for design. Um, I think there's also you know, some interactive experiences that you can do in terms of artwork and, you know, walking through a hotel and finding things that way that you don't find, um, you know, without the technology. So I think there's some exciting things down in the pipeline. But again, I think people are just starting to figure out how to use it. Very cool. I'm very excited to see what's to come in that space. All right. Two hotel openings that you're super excited about going into 2019. (laughs) Well, I said to the Six Senses in New York, pretty sure it's 2019 still. Sorry, Neil, if it's not. Um, And Hudson Yards, I think, you know, a lot of people, it's been amazing to see that change the west side of of New York um, and really create a whole new community over there. So um, excited to see that completely open. Trying to think overseas, what else are we looking forward to? Um, there's a couple, you know, speaking of sustainability and wellness, there's a couple one hotels in the pipeline, Barry Sternlich's um, one hotel, you know, to change the world. Um, the one hotel Brooklyn Bridge here in New York was is an amazing property. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple more of those in the pipeline that I'm excited to see how they can continue to really push this sustainable um, elevated brand. Um, you know, there's another trend out there and I hate to use the word trend, but another phenomenon happening, which is the micro hotels, um, which are smaller rooms, bigger spaces, which after living in New York is not something abnormal because usually hotel rooms are smaller here anyway. Um, but you know, Ace Hotels is launching Sister City, um, which is their smaller, they don't really want to call it a micro hotel. They're just saying they taking everything that was good about Ace um, and bringing it to kind of a, you know, a more, a different level, but, you know, a, a, a don't want to say lesser because it's not lesser, but, you know, kind of a more budget conscious. Um, Limited service. Yeah, exactly. Um, level. So I'm excited about that and to see also um, what, Pod Hotels continues to do and Citizen M continues to, you know, uh, continue to evolve. So, I mean, there's so many. There's... <laughs> no. Yeah. So much. And what I... It's cool. You talked about a lot about stuff coming into the New York City market. And just when you think, how could there be another hotel? Someone comes and does something even cooler yeah. than before. And it's just constant evolution here in the city. Yeah. There's just... Yeah. There's just so much. Well, thanks so much for coming today. Of course. And um, thank you all for listening to Priority Status, Travel Elevated. <laughs>